This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr.org. Or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. And produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 777 for release on Sunday, January 14th, 2024. On WaveScan today... New Zealand, early wireless, before Marconi. We'll speak with Tim Whitehead of Galcom International. And we'll have our Philippine DX report from Henry Umarai. There's been much interest lately in the installation of a new Ampagon analog and DRM shortwave transmitter for Radio New Zealand Pacific, which is currently planned to be on the air by May of this year. We hope that installation goes well and congratulate the authorities in New Zealand for reinforcing their investment in DRM technology for digital radio broadcasting to the Pacific. We thought it might be opportune to go back and review the very early history of wireless development in New Zealand when that country also led the world. Ray Robinson has the story from Los Angeles. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, strange as it may seem, way back at the beginning of the wireless era, little New Zealand way down south was actually ahead of the experimental activities in Europe, with more people on the inventive scene than any other country in the world at the time. So let's return to the year 1888, seven years before Marconi came onto the scene in northern Italy. Because 1888 was the year in which George Kemp began his wireless experiments in the areas around Gisborne, in the central east coast of the North Island. At the time, Kemp was working for the New Zealand Post and Telegraph Department. He was familiar with the workings of the telegraph and the telephone, with its usage of electricity to convey a message along a long connecting wire. He attempted to communicate with distant places by using long antenna wires for both the transmitter and the receiver, and by submerging them in the waters of the nearby river. In another experiment, he dipped the ends of the transmitting and receiving wires into the waters of two different wells. During the year 1894, at the time when the young Marconi was beginning to tinker with the idea of sending wireless messages through space, Ernest Rutherford at Canterbury University in Dunedin, South Island, New Zealand, had already accomplished this. Rutherford was successful in transmitting a signal a distance of 25 feet through several intervening walls. Subsequently, Rutherford successfully transmitted a wireless signal over a distance of half a mile at Cambridge University in England, and that was a world distance record at the time. Rutherford went on to a distinguished career in nuclear physics, for which he was ultimately knighted with the title Sir, and he was also awarded a Nobel Prize. In the late 1890s, also down in Dunedin, several university students began their own experiments with wireless equipment. In the year 1899, by which time Marconi had arrived on the scene over in England, 
One of the students, John Cooper, successfully demonstrated wireless transmissions at the university. During the following year, three more students successfully transmitted a wireless signal from one room to another, and as a sequel, they hooked up their equipment in such a way that the receiver rang a bell at a distance of 200 yards. After these events, several more New Zealanders got into the act with further successes in wireless transmissions. James Logan sent a Morse code message across Wellington Harbour, and 17-year-old Mr J. L. Passmore built his own set of wireless equipment and subsequently transmitted a Morse code signal over a distance of six miles. Passmore Crescent in the Dunedin suburb of Maori Hill is named in honour of the Passmore family. In the very early years of the 20th century, wireless events were under development in several countries of Europe as well as in Australia and New Zealand. The Marconi Company at Chelmsford in England sent out a batch of electrical equipment for installation in New Zealand. For the first time in the history of the Dominion, wireless was given a public demonstration and the event occurred at the Christchurch International Exhibition. The Marconi Company successfully transmitted signals from the exhibition in Hagley Park to the Islington Freezing Works, a distance of seven miles. This exhibition was opened on November 1st, 1906, and it was open to the public continuously well into the new year, 1907. During the year 1908, three young men constructed their own wireless equipment and they sent a goodwill message to the New Zealand Parliament in session and also to the Postmaster General. Using the initial letters of their last names, these three young men linked themselves together as the SHB Wireless Company of Dunedin. Attempts at long-distance international communications then began, and the first successful transmission was made on February 3, 1908, when three Royal Navy vessels, the Pioneer, Powerful and Psyche, relayed a message of goodwill between the Prime Ministers of New Zealand and Australia. One year later, a return message was sent between the two countries, this time direct from Sydney to New Zealand without an intervening relay ship in the middle of the Tasman Sea. And the George Kemp we mentioned earlier, the one who'd been experimenting with receiving and transmitting wires as aerials submerged in water, succeeded in contacting a passing ship, the Ophir, with his electrical equipment. The Ophir had been kitted out for wireless telegraphy and the ship's wireless officer observed activity on the equipment, but he was unaware someone was trying to send him a message. (laughs) After the Great War, New Zealand continued to lead the way by featuring prominently in the very early experimentation with radio broadcasting. Just one year after the famous KDKA was launched in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the first radio broadcast was made in New Zealand. The now historic figure, Dr Robert Jack, was Professor of Physics at the Otago University in Dunedin at the time. He assembled his own radio transmitter and formed the Otago Radio Association, first going to air with music recordings on October 4th, 1922. The music was on gramophone records on loan from a local music shop. The only known item of content in this historic first programme was a recording of the popular song, Hello My Dearie. The first broadcast from this first radio station in New Zealand was heard as far away as Wellington, 500 miles to the north of Dunedin. Programming from this new station was on the air for two hours twice a week on Wednesday and Saturday evenings. The radio station received the first transmitting licence in New Zealand with the original call sign being simply DN for Dunedin. 
In fact, the station claims to have been the first in the Southern Hemisphere and the fifth oldest in the world, five weeks older even than the BBC. Subsequent call signs allocated to the station were 4AB and 4ZB and from 1948 until well into the 1980s it was 4XD on 1431 kHz. Here's a clip of announcer Ivor Fennessy on 4XD on the 2nd of July 1982. Good evening everyone, this is Radio 4XD in Dunedin, the Otago Radio Association station. We have been broadcasting since 1922 and our programs originate in the 4XD studios at 113 McLagan Street and are transmitted on 1431 kHz from the FTC premises 180 Retro Street in Dunedin. Our address, Post Office Box 404 and our telephone number 777-532. Now what have we for you on this Friday evening, the, Saturday, the 2nd of July? Well, in just a few moments at 6, we have Easily Listening. 6.15 is Friday Variety. 7 o'clock, Military Memories. And On the Hoof can be heard at 7.30. Community Notice Board at 9. And between now and then, we have Friday Variety right through to close down at 11. Today, the station just identifies as Radio Dunedin without using a call sign. Their frequency has changed too, but they're still on the air on medium wave with 2.5 kilowatts on 13.05 kilohertz, as well as being on a couple of FM frequencies and streaming via the internet. On shortwave, Radio New Zealand Pacific is regularly heard in both analogue and DRM modes across the Pacific and in Western North America. Until recently, the station utilised a pair of 100 kilowatt transmitters at Rangitaiki in the centre of the North Island one being a hybrid analogue and DRM unit and the other an older analogue-only unit. That older analogue-only one was decommissioned a few weeks ago and it's now being disassembled and removed to make way for the new Ampigon analogue and DRM transmitter currently being shipped from Europe. Installation and testing is expected in the February, March and April timeframe with a planned on-air date of May the 1st, 2024. Back to you, Jeff. Thanks, Ray. Next week, we'll begin a two-week look at the history of the 648 kHz AM frequency in the UK, a famous frequency once used for the BBC European service. Last week on WaveScan, we spoke with Marcel Romertz, one of the speakers at the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters 2023 annual meeting that took place last month on a ship cruising between Miami and the Bahamas. One of the other speakers at the meeting was Tim Whitehead, executive director of GALCOM International, a Canadian organization that makes fixed-tuned radio receivers for Christian radio stations. After his talk, I spoke with Tim in the ship's library. Tim, you've been the, the, the what do you call it, CEO or president? Uh, I, I think my business card says executive director. Ah, uh-huh, okay. So we'll go with that. <laughs> Since uh, how long? Uh, since 2009. And tell me, how is uh, Alan McGraw doing? Yeah, Alan McGraw, our founder at Galcom, mm-hmm. um, just retired at the age of 84 last April. Uh, and actually dropped by our office a week ago, still interested in the work that's going on. He's a little bit, well, you get to be 85, you know, slowing down a bit. But boy, he just loves the work, loves the radio ministry. And so, uh, yep, he's still doing pretty well. And you're located in Hamilton, Ontario. That's correct. We have uh, two offices. So there's Galcom Canada, which is in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Uh, for anyone listening in the U.S., right by Buffalo. 
And you usually get the reaction, oh, sorry, when I say that. And then there's a Galcom USA office in Tampa, so much nicer. Everyone goes, oh, nice. So, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, Hamilton is very nice. We, we had an NASB meeting up there, you were telling me, in 2010? Pretty sure it was 2010. Yeah, we, we did our best. You know, we took you to Niagara Falls. We're not far from there and some other nice sites around the area. But yeah, it's great to get together with people that really love radio. So. Yeah, yeah. And it's not too far from Toronto. I remember we, we, went, to, we went to Toronto. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, just an hour from Toronto. We got to go around the lake to get to Toronto. As a crow flies, it's pretty close. We got to go around Lake Ontario and then, of course, just about an hour from Buffalo. So it's a pretty good location, actually. Yeah. So Alan uh, was, uh, founded the organization. What was the, the, the original idea? So way back in the 1980s, there were some large Christian radio ministries, uh, Transworld Radio, Far East Broadcasting, HCJB, uh, Elwa in Liberia, these big high-powered uh, stations whose uh, mandate was to get the gospel, uh, the message of the, the Word of God, the Bible, uh, into closed countries, this, you know, the former Soviet bloc, China, um, areas where people could not go. And so they started in mid-80s around uh, talking about what they called the World by 2000 campaign. Cover the whole world, to, you know, work together uh, to cover the whole world with Christian radio, shortwave radio. And Alan was in the middle of nowhere in Africa, northern Kenya, and he realized as he looked around the village he was visiting, nobody owned a radio. And he, had the, and he realized at the time, nobody there had electricity. It's, this was grass hut, sustenance farming community, really primitive. And still, this is you know, 2023, as you mentioned, 60% of the world still doesn't have electricity in their homes. And so he believes God gave him the vision to make a shortwave radio and fix tune it to those broadcasts. So that's where the vision for Galcom came from back. And so we started in August 15th, 1989. And since then, we've been pumping out these little shortwave radios locked on to broadcasts all over the world, shortwave, medium wave, FM, uh, whatever makes sense in that local context. So fixed tune means it, it will only pick up one frequency. Exactly, yeah. So we everything we do is in partnership with another uh, charity, another ministry. And so if they're going to, and we, we do cost funding agreements, so if they're going to purchase radios and hand them out to people, uh, and our donors too, they don't want people to just get a radio and then change the station and listen to something else, right? You want them to, to have the radio have the effect that it's meant for. And so in this case, it's, it's sharing the love of Jesus. So we lock it onto those stations, those Christian stations. And nowadays, though, you can you can put more than one frequency on. Yes. So when I started, we were still using crystals and coils, and it was one station. And if we wanted to put a second station on, we had to put a second crystal on, and you know it's a big big to do. But now everything's digital, so we can put you know we put a ten a dozen stations on. Um, we just make sure that our antennas frequency agile on it, and, and you know the the capacitors on everything's working right. But yeah, so we can put shortwave and FM on a radio, or medium wave and FM on a radio, and we even add a little audio player. Um, a lot of shortwave stations are only on the air morning, evening, right? It, it just the reception isn't great in the middle of the day. Yeah. So we added a little MP3 player so our local pastor partner can record messages or put an audio Bible on or other things so people have the use of the, the tool, that unit, all day long. Mm. Yeah, and so you have these audio Bibles. Are they in different languages? Yeah, again, partnership. So, you know, we partner with the local guys to do the broadcast, and then we partner with other groups that have translated the Bible. Um, so we belong to something called the Digital Bible Library, and they work on all the royalty agreements and permissions. And so we got access to over 100 Bibles and several, uh, probably close to 1,000 or so New Testaments, and all sorts of other material and, and content. Yeah. Now, I remember this was uh, going back some years now, but the, uh, the radios that you made for us at uh, WRMI on uh, fixed tune to 9955, they uh, had these solar panels on them, uh, which were sort of 
flip top. Flip top, yeah. <laughs> and, and they're very indestructible plastic uh, devices. But, and they have batteries on them that last like forever, right? <laughs> yeah, we, it's the, the, where these radios are going, it's not like the person, if it breaks, can bring it back to Walmart and get a new one. I mean, they have to work. And so the, the plastic that we use is the same greatest Fisher-Price toys. They're guaranteed not to chip or crack, right? Because, yeah. you know, the same you know, the safety reasons, right? So we use that plastic. Um, the batteries we use, the ones you had, were a long-lasting, specially designed nickel cadmium. Now, with new technology, we're using lithium iron. That's the same thing as in Tesla cars. Now, we don't know how long they're going to last, but they're supposed to last even longer. Um, and they don't drain. There's no leakage on those batteries. And there's no memory. So they're, they're great batteries to use. We have this big, massive solar panel um, so that it's quick to charge. So we do all these things to make sure those, batter those batteries, those radios, the batteries too, but the radio, full radios are going to last for decades. And, you know, we've been doing this for 34 years. Um, the oldest radio that I know that was is working is in Turks and Caicos, and it was 24 years old when we saw it. Um, actually, sorry, 25. Alan went back to the anniversary, 25th anniversary of a station that he had helped build, and they had the radio sitting there. And he thought, "Wow!" And he looked at that. We have put a little number on the radio so we know what batch they've been made in, and it was a 25-year-old radio still working. Amazing. Um, I, I, you there? Uh, you've got these radios out in, in how many different countries? We're just short of 150 countries. I think we're like 147 right now, mm -hmm. and so and it's over a million and a half. We've done it over in, in our 34 years, over a million and a half radios to 140 countries. Any given year, it's usually between 30 and 40 countries within a year that we work with. Mm -hmm. I, and I know you have dozens and dozens of stories about uh, putting some of these, uh, helping you put some of these stations on the air and sending the radios out and all that. But but just one of them I'll ask you about, uh, because I've read the story myself uh, a number of times, is uh, Russell Stendhal in Colombia. When I first started the ministry, more people knew about his work than knew about Galcom because what he would do is he would fly over the jungles of Colombia where the FARC rebels were under, had control of the area. He was a pilot. Had he was a pilot. Maybe, you know what, let me back up. So he grew up in Colombia as a missionary kid. His parents translated the Bible into a native language there called Kogi. And so he grew up there, a Spanish speaker. Colombia was his adopted country. And he was always heartbroken over the, the tension. The, 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 it was the world's longest running civil war between the FARC and the government. And one day, because he was an American, he, got, he flew into a little community, got kidnapped. Uh, by the FARC because that's how they paid their for their the rebellion, right? Yeah. Demanding ransom, 150 days torture, dragged through the jungle till they his family raised the fifty thousand dollar ransom. When he was finally released, he had such a burden for the guys that had kidnapped him because they were at risk. If they tried to quit the the FARC, their families could be executed. Uh, they'd be hunted down. And he said just the the the, the brainwashing they were under just it was terrible. He wanted to bring them some hope and some joy in the in the, in the gospel. So that how do I tell these guys about the good news about Jesus if I can't go into the jungle? They'll just shoot me. So radio's the answer. So he starts broadcasting on tropical band 5910 and 6010. He had two transmitters. It covered the blanketed Colombia. It spilled over into to Venezuela and, and I think so they're on. still on the air, are they? Absolutely yeah. still on there, yeah. Um, a little bit of a side. He's now tilted his, his antennas to actually catch more of Venezuela. But anyways, <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. But, um, so, but he would, then he would try to get the, the radios in. He says, how do I know people are listening? Found out about us at Galcom, realized if he had these fixed tuned radios, that he would know that people were hearing the message. 
asking for peace and reconciliation, promoting, you know, forgiveness. And so he started as a pilot. He would fly over the most dangerous parts of Colombia and drop the radios in using mini parachutes. We had, we had ladies groups in little churches all over Canada sewing parachutes. I'd go to speak somewhere and people go, oh, you're the parachute people. I'm like, no, we're the radio people. But everybody knew about Russell and knew about this parachute because it was such a crazy thing. Yeah. Fast forward, we were over 10 years, we did 100,000 radios with Russell. Uh, he, he calculates he probably dropped 30,000 by airplane and then handed out the other 70,000. But because of his reputation, because he was always looking for peace and reconciliation, he was actually invited to the peace talks when they brokered peace back, I guess it's now five or six years ago. And so, as he said, now that there's peace in Colombia, you know, he's tilted his antennas. He's now proclaiming peace and reconciliation over to Venezuela. Just a great guy. So, yeah. but, and he's, so if you know one story about us, it's our <laughs> partnership with Russell. But he's written the book, right? He actually yeah. he did a couple. So it's called Rescue the Captors. It's the story of his captivity. And then he wrote Rescue the Captors 2. And it's kind of about how the radio ministry started. So a bunch of stories about flying these airplanes and dropping the radios in and other crazy stuff that he, that he did. Just he, He's like Indiana Jones for missionaries. He's just a crazy guy, but great. Just a great guy. I read his first book. I'll have to read the second one now. <laughs> so. But but I mean, you you are in all kinds of areas. I mean, you've, you've got, uh, uh, I think, a, a network of stations now in... in um, Greenland, right? Exactly. So here's the thing about radio, and I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but radio overcomes all sorts of barriers. Number one, it's the geopolitical. Radio gets places that TV signals, internet signals, and people can't get to. It's just, you know, when you talk about shortwave, you're bouncing it off the ionosphere. Like, there's nowhere it can't go. Um, And so, and then, and secondly, there's infrastructure. Uh, with our little solar radios, you can get into areas, you know, Colombian jungles, African villages, Andes of Bolivia and Ecuador, um, where there's no electricity. So Greenland was a unique one where geo- geographically, um, there's no road that joins all the villages in the country. It's just too harsh of an area. And so a pastor that we were working with there, a Danish missionary actually, John Nielsen, wanted to talk to everybody in the country, but he couldn't get there physically. So we put a radio station in his church, a studio, put the first tower up, and then the next year we went back and put three more stations in in other communities. He had to fly into them, and he connected them all by internet. I mean, Greenland's a developed country, so it's in the infrastructure is there in this case. And then we went back and we put seven more in the next year with a bunch of volunteers that came, and then we kind of picked a couple more. Now there's a network of 14 stations there, yeah. all connected to one studio, all connected by the internet, 99% of the population covered by radio. It's incredibly powerful. And, and little tiny 50-watt um, FM stations. That's yeah, it. Yeah. But the, the villages are small. And so that's just, radio's the answer. Yeah. And you've set up a, 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 a tropical band shortwave station out in the Pacific, right? Yeah, we worked again um, in Micronesia. I don't know how many thousand islands in Micronesia. We worked with a, a, a doctor, a missionary doctor, and he would go to an island and he'd do some work and then he would tell people about how much God loves them and then he'd go into the next island. Well, if there's a thousand islands, how long is it before he gets back to the one he first visited? So we put in the little tropical band station blankets the entire federated states of Micronesia. So now he's talking to everybody at once. Goes to an island, does his medical work, tells them how much God loves him, leaves behind a couple radios. And so now they're hearing him. And that's the other beauty about radio. It overcomes the workforce barrier. You don't, you know, one person with the right tools, a microphone and a transmitter, can reach thousands, tens of thousands of people, you know, and, and you don't have to be there in person. So, you know, he may see them once a year, but they all been talking, listening to him. And so it's John, you know, you're here. Yeah. Or, Pat, you're, or, sorry, Pastor Knob, you're here, you're here. You know, we've been listening to all your, we have so many questions. That's the power of radio. I was speaking there with Tim Whitehead, executive director of the Canadian company Galcom International, 
on board the MSC Magnifica cruise ship at the NASB 2023 annual meeting somewhere between Miami and the Bahamas. Right now, it's off to the Philippines and Henry Umatai. Happy New Year, everyone, to all our dear shortwave listeners, wherever you're welcome to the January 14th edition of the Philippine DX. This is report number 202. I'm Henry Umada in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central Philippines. Glad to be back and thank you for listening. I would like to thank the following DXers for sending the reception report most recently. Mr. John Zachary Alvarez in Cavite, Henda, Philippines. Mr. Richard Lemke in Alberta, Canada. Mr. Chris Campbell in Ohio, USA. And Mr. Patrick Robick in Leibniz in Austria. To all of you, thank you very much. Reception logs for December 2023. December 10, China Radio International on 15135 in Indonesian, Pram Kuning Aning. At 0913, SIO444. December 10, Voice of America on 15150 in Chinese, Pram Budantani. At 0915, SIO333. December 10, All India Radio on 15400 in Nepali, Pram Bengaluru. At 0919, SIO333. December 10, PBS Senyang on 13670 in Oghor, Pram Urunki. At 0924, SIO444. December 17, China National Radio 1, Voice of China on 11850 in Chinese, Pram Nanning. At 0926, SIO555. December 17, KBS World Radio on 9570 in Korean, Pram Kimchi. At 11.25, SIO444. December 17, China National Radio 6 on 9.620 in Hakka from Beijing. At 09.33, SIO555. December 17, NHK Radio Japan on 9.750 in Japanese from Yamata. At 09.34, SIO444. December 24, Voice of America on 9.795 in Chinese from Tinang. At 0937, SIO555, December 24, KTWR Transworld Radio on 11965 in Indonesian. From Agat, at 0850, SIO555, December 24, Radio Taiwan International on 9750 in Indonesian. From Paochong, at 1010, SIO555, December 31, FABC Radio on 9400 in Langyo. From Iba Sambales at 12.35, SIO555. And December 31, AWR on 11.690 in Chinese. From Agat at 10.18, SIO444. Send us your comments, suggestions, reception logs, and informations to pilipinasdx at gmail.com. That's P-I-L-I-P-I-N-A-S-D-X for pilipinasdx at gmail.com. This has been Henry Umaday for WaveScan. In Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central Philippines, say mabuhay at maraming salamat po. Thank you, Henry. And we end WaveScan today with Maori music from New Zealand, from Te College, a song called Papatunuku. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. Next week on WaveScan, we'll have the history of 648 kilohertz in the UK, part one. 
and more from the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters 2023 annual meeting. Wavescan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone. This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr.org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. 